Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, this is Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm Ciro Garcia. And we are talking Back to the Future 3 tonight. This is the third installment of the franchise. Yes, the last one. The last one. Well, for now. That's true, you never know. No, no. the last one. And that is all that will be said. Yeah, actually, I think Robert Zemeckis said that they, they will not give up the rights in this film until he's dead. So once he dies, we have to worry. Well, no, I don't blame him. I mean, yeah, it's been it's been a season of reboots and redos and re-everythings. And sometimes, you, I mean, when Star Wars got their boot up and then they got those the episodes one through three, it was a disaster. I'm not you know crazy about i'm not crazy about this this oh my god we can't think of anything let's rehash the past but like the article that came out about xena's being redone now i know with Lucy Laws. there was one warrior princess and that's all there is there was only one firefly <laughs> <laughs> it, it unless it's done spectacularly which very little has the mad max has been done amazingly Battlestar Galactica has been done amazingly, although the last four episodes were really weird. Um, they, this just needs to stay the way it is because it's just right, and it makes people happy the way it is. So leave it alone. Well, you know, just to uh, play the devil's advocate, the uh, three Star Wars movies that you won't mention were actually technically not reboots. Uh, they were prequels. Regurgitory. <laughs> that <laughs> regurgitory well they made you regurgitate but that's bad not just him <laughs> oh come on everyone loves jar jar with his head on a platter no <laughs> but no but we're not talking about star wars no tonight. we're talking back to the future <laughs> back to the future so i very very briefly met leah thompson a couple weeks ago <laughs> oh that's awesome where'd you meet leah her thompson. Um, so Wolf Trap, which is this amazing, amazing place here in Vienna, Virginia, um, where you can see concerts and plays and shows. Every once in a while, the uh, the National Symphonic Orchestra will play along to a movie. A couple of years ago, we saw Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings, with the movie playing on a high, huge screen. And then on the stage was the orchestra and the choir and the soloists and it was amazing i'm getting chills just thinking about it, it that's was amazing. awesome so a couple of weeks ago they did back to the future which was great and as a surprise the composer and leah thompson showed up that's awesome it was that's cool the coolest thing that is awesome <laughs> hung out in the audience they did a little q a and then we got to watch the movie and then every time she came on screen everybody clapped well good <laughs> That is awesome. Awesome. What a great experience. It wasn't experience. really meeting her. It was more of a, we love you, Leah. She goes back, oh, I love you too. That, <laughs> was, that was really the extent <laughs> Total fangirl and boy experience, right? That would God, be. It's, Leah, she looks amazing. That's awesome. And they, ugh, this is a trilogy done right, where every, the second one's not my favorite, but every single one of these has been amazing. And the third one just knocks it out of the park. Well, I mean, come on. You combine science fiction and a Western. I know. Where, I mean, where have we seen that before? Nowhere. Uh, beats me. Nope. Never been done. No. Mm -hmm. No Maybe, done it. Somebody should get on that. Yep. Just. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this land. Take the sky from me. Take me out to the black. Tell them I ain't coming back. Burn the land and boil the sea. You can't take the sky from me. But, um, but it wasn't like science where, you know, we have lasers to keep the cows in. It was, he was the giant thing that was to giant refrigerator, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, it was, uh, uh, It was definitely great. Well, let's talk just a little, a little bit of the stats of Back to the Future. Back to the Future uh, basically earned a domestic gross of $87 million, a foreign gross of 156 giving it a total of $244 million. That's not a shabby movie, even by today's standards. No, it's not, and their budget was at $40 million, so... So that's even better. Well, you know, and, and so, I mean, this was... This certainly uh, made them money. Again. And it, if this was done today, I, I, I fear or suspect they, they would have said, you know what, let's make it Back to the Future 4 because it made a ton of money. Probably. I could be wrong, but I think if, they, you know, if, it was, if it was done today, that's what happened. Yeah. I forget yeah. where it... Go ahead, M. No, that's a good assumption. I, I would... There's everybody, you know, they're about the dollars instead of, you know, making something awesome. The art, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. That, so that's just a little bit of the stats. It came out on May 25th of 1990. Hmm. So uh, we passed the, I guess, the uh, 25th anniversary of that, right? Mm-hmm. This year. So, and I guess the other one came out June. The first one came out in June of what was it? 85. 90, 85, yeah. yeah. So, so that's very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, well, before we get into like details and start dissecting scenes, characters, trivia, and that sort of stuff. I have a quiz for you guys. All right. What? Let's see how well. We, we did so awesome at the last quiz. I, I picked out some harder questions. Okay. Oh, I kicked butt in you that did one. Jen kicked. and I were awesome in that one. So let me, let me start out. I'm going to start out with some easy questions. And then we'll go into the harder ones. Okay. I think, okay. I think they're harder. Okay. All right. So here it is. Here is the quiz. Let's see how well you know. When does Back to the Future Part 3 begin? 1955. Oh, back in, the, in, the, in 1955. Okay, and you know the date? Ah, it was the date he went back in time because he didn't really go back in time. I know the month. What was the month? It was in October. It was October not. October 22nd. It was not October. Oh, it was in September. Nope. Okay. Um, right area. Wrong. You went the wrong direction. Okay. It was November. It was November. November 12th, actually at 10.03 p.m. Okay. Did so you... what television show comes on that wakes Doc up? Howdy Doody. Howdy Doody. Yep. Howdy Doody. How does Doc get home from the clock tower? Marty takes him home. It was, was it a bike? Didn't he ride a bike? Marty has to drive him home because uh, Doc Brown passed out when he saw Marty again. Yeah, really. Oh, that's this, right. Yeah, you, you have it right. The answer they give is he doesn't remember. But okay. he, he doesn't, but that's how mm-hmm. it happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what is Doc's prof- profession in 1885? Blacksmith. Blacksmith. Very good. Blacksmith. Where was the DeLorean hidden for about 70 years? A cave. 
I need more specifics. Mine. It was a mine. Do you know, remember the name of the mine? Something, something mine. <laughs> it starts with a D. Hmm. Dead man's mine. No, Delgado. Nah. Nah. That means skinny. But uh, the picture Marty carries around of Doc's grave from 1885 is from where? Oh, um, uh, 1955, when he find, when he goes to pick up the car um, with Doc. Okay, more specifically, um, not where in time, but location where. Oh, well, you're not thinking fourth dimensional. Anymore. I'm not. Not for this question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't... Uh, I don't remember. It's Boot Hill Cemetery. Got it. Back at Doc's house, what game do Marty and Copernicus engage in? Not fetch. Wow. I just rewatched the movie on Friday. Chess. I literally watched the movie right before we started. Yep. Chess. Chess? Yep, chess. Okay. Um, what did Doc say would happen if you were to travel back to the Dark Ages? He'd probably be burned as a heretic. Very good. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> um, how old was Doc when he tried to go to the center of the earth? Twelve. He was 12. Very good. How did Doc and Marty know back in 1955 that they have reached the DeLorean? Oh, because uh, um, 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 initials. Emmett left his initials. Very good. On the wood. Very good. Where ELH. Yeah, ELH. Very good. Very even ELB. But very good. Um, oh, yeah, it is ELB. I'm sorry. Now, where is the time circuit built that Doc dismisses as junk? Japan. <laughs> Very good. Um, let's see here. Fill in the blank. Mag Dog Tannen was called Mad Dog because of his short temper and tendency to... Drool. Drool is correct. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Who was who was the original name of Doc's ancestors, and when did they first arrive in Hill Valley? Van Buren's nineteen oh something. Very good, nineteen oh eight. Yep. Uh, in what dimension does Doc keep telling Marty to think in? Fourth. Fourth. Yeah, that was pretty easy. What does Seamus give Marty that makes Marty look like a fool in the town? A hat. Seamus. His Shame. bowler hat. Shame is his hat. Yeah, his hat. hat doesn't quite work on him. All right. Um, in Back to the Future Part 3, how fast is the DeLorean speeding when it starts to light up when Marty travels from 1955 to 1885? Now it starts to light up. Oh, man, I could Oh, and it's usually like 80. It's like around when he's around 85 miles an hour. It's right before he hits 88. Right. Isn't it? It is. Uh, the correct number is, I believe it is, it's 65 miles an hour. Hmm. I'm totally yeah. wrong. Yeah. At what time was the clock tower hit by lightning? 11. No, that's wrong. It's 950 something. No, I don't know. 10.04 p.m. All right. Uh, why was Lorraine calling Marty Calvin Klein? He was going back to movie one. Because of his underpants. His underpants. <laughs> uh, 
written on his underwear. My mom oh, never wrote my name. written on your underwear. Yeah. Where are Marty's great-grandparents from? Ireland. Ireland. We got that right? Seamus McFly. Yeah. What was the name of the song Marty, Marty performed at the dance? Johnny Be Good. Johnny Be Good. Yes. That's correct. It's from movie one. What is Biff's descendant's nickname in 1885? It should be Ancestor, actually. Ancestor's nickname in 1885. Oh, Mad Dog. Yeah, we just talked about that. Mad Dog Tannen. Mad Dog Tannen. Nobody calls me Mad Dog. All right, so that's it. You guys did okay in some of them. Yeah, they weren't. It was a little bit rougher than the other one. Yeah, well, I mean, they have really obscure details in this one. See, I had to make it harder. I had to up the ante for you. Uh, well, I guess the other one were more softballs. Softball as well. well it, was, it was still good. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, let's get back to our Back to the Future discussion. So, so as we talk about this, where do you want to start? You want to start about scenes, characters? What do you want to kind of tackle here? Well, I think my just in general, there's this really neat, that Marty's arc over all three movies kind of come to this neat little place where I feel like in this third movie, he and Doc kind of change places where Marty's like, you can't, you can't go back. You know, we have to go back. We have to go fix things. You you can't stay. And, 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 and Doc goes, Oh, of course you're right. But then he wants to stay. He's in love with Claire. There's kind of this little juxtaposition to the point where there's even a, there's a point where um, it's right after the guy measures him for his his uh, his casket. <laughs> right. Doc says something, and and Marty goes, "Great, Scott!" And Doc goes, "I know it's heavy, isn't it?" And it, <laughs> it just it hit the butt the butt the bell right there for me. Right. Well, there's definitely a a role reversal here. I mean, um, I think Robert Zemeckis goes on record as saying that. They felt by the movie three, they had taken Marty as far as he could go, as far as exploring him. And they switched to focus really to Doc in a lot of ways. And you see that here in movie three, that the focus, while while Marty's still front and center, there's a lot of focus on the struggle that Doc is going through. Mm -hmm. Right. Marty is almost a plot device in a way. I mean, he's the voice of reason. Um, But it's a chance for... Doc Brown to change and grow more in this movie, uh, which we see him do a lot of. Yeah. Although Marty has some mad moonwalking skills. Mm. <laughs> Bad. That has to be one of my favorite scenes, by the way. The moonwalking? The moonwalking. <laughs> the bar scene. Hey, McFly! Thought I'd have told you never to come in. You want Seamus McFly? You look like him, though. Especially with that dog ugly hat. (laughs) (laughs) You kin to that, hey, Barber? What's your name, dude? Uh, Mart... Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of stupid name is that? I'd say he's the run of the litter. Hey, now, boys. <laughs> Would you take a look, see at these pearly whites? Hell, I ain't seen Tee look at straight Ward's store, boy. Oh, <laughs> take a gander at them moccasins. What kind of skins is them? 
What's that writing mean? Nikkei. What is that? Some sort of engine talk or something? <laughs> Bartender, I'm looking for that no good cheating blacksmith. You seen him? No, sir, Mr. Tannen, I have not. Tannen? You're mad dog Tannen. Mad dog. I hate that name. I hate it. You hear? Nobody calls me Mad Dog. Especially not some dooted up egg sucking gutter trash. I do like when he when he step when he takes a step and that floorboard kicks up and launches that spittoon right at a uh, uh, mad dog. <laughs> that was a great scene. Oh yeah. So you know there is a um, there is I agree with um, what you were saying. Just the swapping of the roles. Did you feel that that took away from the movie at all? No, I think it kind of it rounded the movie out because the first. The first one's clearly all about Marty and getting Marty back. And the second one has some crazy stuff going on with Marty and Doc, you know, trying to get around and fix things. And it's more about the whole town and their family. It's, you get, you get, I mean, Jennifer gets involved too, which isn't really, it's good that she does. And then, like, even in the beginning of the movie, Doc's, oh, I've always wanted to be a cowboy. I love that era. And then he went back and got to be part of that era. And, you know, of course he doesn't want to leave. It's it's great. I mean, well, it's not great. There's no running water and, you know, bottled water. Hello. Right. Toilet? No. Uh, no. So I, I think it's it was a great way to close to close the, the trilogy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, Marty's stuck in the past. He's not... There's nobody for... You know, he's committed to his girlfriend, so he's not going to fall in love with anybody else. There needs to be some kind of love story going on here, and why not one for Doc? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, the, it, I think the thing with throwing them back to 1885, it really does throw you... 1955, there, there's enough modern uh, conveniences that it's... Yeah, stuff's different. Mm-hmm. But you go back to 1885, there's a lot there's a lot about the way they live that has absolutely changed. Yeah, he's definitely. I mean, I mean, each time Marty is is travels in time, he reacts to how different it, it is from his own time. But it is much more different. Um, in 1885, there's that they really have to be creative to make things work for them. Um, I mean. I mean, they, they they take away something simple as his gas tank leaks out of the gas, so they have to find a creative solution to get to that eighty-eight miles an hour. Yeah, absolutely. Which which makes for a great scene later. Yeah, absolutely. 
Definitely. Well, another good scene in the movie. One thing I thought was interesting, when Marty is visiting, when he, well, when his ancestors put him up for the night, just the it, how his ancestors react to him and also just how their old world values are. I mean, they're going to put him up in the barn for the night, but, you know, Mrs. McFly is like, you know, he's a stranger. How can we trust? I mean, um, and just the way they, you know, she she is, she's an interesting character. I mean, she's not in it much, but it's just, um, for her, there's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things, and... Um, just, uh, just watching her, and, and um, it's interesting watching uh, Michael J. Fox play his his, his uh, ancestor, and he's the polar opposite of him. You know, he's not he's not a fighter. He's he's you know, he's a little more level headed, and um, you know, he, he's uh, not going to. I don't want to say he you know he's he's a hippie, but he's not you know. He's he's not going to look for a fight, uh, even if a fight fights finds him. He's a pacifist. Yeah, that, that, I was looking. For, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I always think it's fascinating, um, just the the way they portray the town and his interaction with the town. And uh, granted, this is a movie representation of that time period, but there's something. I mean, westerns have been around for a long time and this is a this really plays into that nostalgic western style town and landscape and mm-hmm. and I like that. I mean I it's it's fun, it's um comical and uh reminds me a little bit of Tombstone. I love Tombstone. It's one of my favorite westerns. Oh, epically wonderful film about about Wyatt Earp. I mean the yeah. best. Yeah, it was great. And what a cast. Oh my word, Val Kilmer, uh, Kurt Russell, um, we could totally Brad, have a show just on that. <laughs> I know, I know, and it's not even sci-fi. But. Well, when we talk about the town and what when Marty first comes to town, he's dressed up what Doc Brown, nineteen fifty-five, thinks cowboys look like, and he looks absolutely ridiculous. He has oh, yeah, this, he this pink and yellow shirt with these fringes on it, and well, there's these atoms on it too, which uh, I didn't understand that, but <laughs> but uh, in his Nikes and. Um, Nikkei, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, all, what the one guy in the bar says? Look what breathed in here. I mean, here. Yeah. I mean, it just uh, he just Doesn't definitely stands out. No, he does definitely. We well, you know there are two DeLoreans back there during that time. There are. There's the DeLorean that uh, Doc Brown first arrived in, and he and he hid in that mine. And there's DeLorean that Marty McFly arrived in. Right. You know, and that always... So I get the whole, like, time... Like, if they went back and got the... Took parts off of the DeLorean dock went back on, then it wouldn't be there for Marty to use. And then, like, I was... I remember thinking, like, why don't they get the parts from the other DeLorean to fix the DeLorean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean... But that would, create a, that would create a temporal paradox and a... An impossible situation, because if he if he took the parts from that DeLorean, then he would never be able to come back and actually meet Doc, and therefore he wouldn't be able to take the parts from that DeLorean. Mm-hmm. And 
And they, I mean, he, he wouldn't come back. Therefore, there wouldn't be a second DeLorean back there for them to even steal the parts. Therefore, they can't go and actually steal the parts. Well, the only thing that... When, when grandfather's Doc, paradox. When, when Doc Brown arrives in 1885, the DeLorean is damaged. It won't fly anymore. The time circuits are destroyed. There, it had to be repaired in 1955. The only thing that was wrong with the DeLorean that came... The second DeLorean that Marty came, arrived in was the gas tank had, had ruptured. Uh, the, that, he blew the fuel line. Yeah, he blew the flu, fuel, fuel line. So that was... It wouldn't have worked anyways because the, his 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 DeLorean, with the exception of the fuel line, was repaired. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it does give you a little bit of head scratch. Well, it, it really it really does it in, in in part two. I mean. Oh yeah. Well, part two. There's a yeah, lot. There, there's well, part two is just a mess. Mm-hmm. Like a t- temporal hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh I think it was kind of but it it's fun to think about and think about like all the facets of time travel. I threw it into the show notes here. I'll just read it right now, but there's a uh like you can actually construct the actual amount of time that DeLorean traveled in time. Okay. So I'm just going to read it because it's going to be easier than me trying to explain it to you because there's a lot to it. There exists enough clues in all three movies to construct the travels of the DeLorean precisely to within a few minutes at worst. Except in 2015 Biff's arrival in 1955 and Doc's personal travels. There are a few interesting things to note. Not counting the time Doc traveled by himself, the DeLorean spent nearly 71 years on its own time scale from its first time travel to its destruction. By the time Marty made his ultimate return to 1985, he was approximately 14 days, 3 hours, and 27 minutes older than he should have been. Jennifer, on the other hand, was 7 hours, 26 minutes younger than she should have been. Another interesting conclusion is a point of contention. There are two theories. One which drops last item. On November 12, 1955, between the time Biff arrived, or 6 a.m., whichever came later, and 6.38 p.m., the time he left, there were four DeLoreans present in Hill Valley, (laughs) ordered from its point of view. One, the instance when Marty was trapped in 55 in the original movie. Two, the instance when Biff came to 1955 to give himself the almanac. Three, the instance when Marty and Doc came back to 55 to take the almanac back. Four, the instance when it was waiting in the abandoned mine. Those who do not agree with four argue that according to the ripple effect timeline as present in the films, there wouldn't be a DeLorean hidden by Doc in the mine until later in the evening when the lightning blast would have taken the DeLorean back to 1885, thereby altering the timeline. It's entirely true that we do not ever witness a moment in the films where all four instances coexist. But text ordered from its point of view above should hint the solution. Once the DeLorean is in 1885, consider what it would detect if it were in the position to witness the comings and goings of its former selves. Over 70 years of peace, and then arrives, and then, oh, then one arrives, and two arrives, and three arrive in some order, and two then leaves at 6.38, three leaves around 10 p.m., and one leaves at 10.04. It itself leaves soon after that. If we grant that all three of these instances, one through three, continue to exist in the final timeline, then there should be no problem accepting this theory. 
<laughs> it's like a mind turner to think about like all the different DeLoreans and when they're existing when and right. how that all plays out. But they also said that the uh, if it, it they they actually calculate that it actually traveled five hundred and seventy years total. If, if you add all if you have if you add all the years together that it traveled. 570 years. Yeah, there's a whole calculation. It's in the show notes. I'll throw it up in the show notes okay. on the uh, website because it's kind of interesting. They take you a step-by-step process and talk, they calculate the amount of time that it traveled. I mean, there is the time where Doc Brown went to the future in the first place. Yeah, we don't, but uh, I think they went. he went to, we do know that mm-hmm. amount of time because it's when he goes back. Mm-hmm. But anyway. He gets the facelift and the Mr. Fusion. Right, right, right. And all that. But, <laughs> I got myself refreshed, Marty. Yeah. They actually, Big, did you, Em, you watch Big Bang Theory? Yes. Yeah, so do you remember the clip that uh, Big Bang did on Back to the Future? No. Well, I have it here. Let me, let me just. When they were discussing the science of it? Yeah, well, let me just play it. This is actually from Back to the Future 2, but it plays into this discussion a little bit. And it's kind of funny. Care if I play it? Oh, please, go ahead. Hold on, pause. Something doesn't make sense. Look, in 2015, Biff steals the sports almanac and takes the time machine back to 1955 to give it to his younger self. But as soon as he does that, he changes the future. So the 2015 he returns to would be a different 2015, not the 2015 that Marty and Doc were in. This is uh-huh. the time machine all over again. <laughs> If future Biff goes back to 2015 right after he gives young Biff the almanac, he could get back to the 2015 with Marty and Doc in it because it wasn't until his 21st birthday that 1955 Biff placed his first bet. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is placed right? What do you mean? Is placed the right tense for something that would have happened in the future of a past that was affected by something from the future? We'll have fun. We'll have placed. That's my boy. (laughs) Okay, so it wasn't until his 21st birthday that Biff had will have placed his first bet and made his millions. That's when he altered the timeline. But he had will haven't placed it. (laughs) What? Unlike Hot Tub Time Machine, this couldn't be more simple. When Biff gets the almanac in 1955, the alternate future he creates isn't the one in which Marty and Doc Brown ever used the time machine to travel to 2015. Therefore, in the new timeline, Marty and Doc never brought the time machine. Wait, wait. is brought right? <laughs> Marty and Doc never had, have, had brought? I don't know, you did it to me. <laughs> I'm going with it. Marty and Doc never had, have, had brought the time machine to 2015. That means 2015 Biff could also not had, have, had brought the almanac to 1955 Biff. Therefore, the timeline in which 1955 Biff gets the almanac is also the timeline in which 1955 Biff never gets the almanac and not just never gets. Never have, never hasn't, never had, have, hasn't. Is right. <laughs> so what kind of name is Biff? 
Sounds like when you pop open a can of Pillsbury dough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that stuff is so good, wrapped around cocktail weenies. Guys. Do you know that the word wiener comes from the German name of the Austrian capital, Vienna, or Wien? Do you know if you look at Austria on a map, it actually looks like a wiener? <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? We, we sent the girls away so we could focus. I don't think it worked. <laughs> Anyways, that's <laughs> it's a funny clip in there. You know, what's funny is you and I, you two and I and my friend Jen, we had the exact same conversation. I, and we I did know. Back to you. Oh. We discussed the exact same thing about the exact same moment. Like when he, when, so time doesn't exactly change until the bet is placed. So when he comes back uh, in time, he being old Biff, um, he is suffering from time travel displacement issues because his 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 personal future is changing by giving him that book. So he's no longer the Biff that we know. And we see that when he exits the taxi a little yep. bit, but then it, they actually in a deleted scene show it a little bit more. But um, but yeah, you're right. We did have that exact discussion. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's awesome. Oh, I miss Jen. We need to bring her back in the show. I know. She's in England. She won't be back till 2007 uh, when uh, we have uh, the total eclipse of the sun. Yeah, 2007 when we go back in time with her time machine. Uh, no. <laughs> that's what you said, 2007. Or did you say 17? Oh, so, that's right. Oh, I meant 2017. Look, I'm working at 7 in the morning now. Look, we're talking about time travel. We can go back to 2007 just fine. There's no solar eclipse. No, now we're talking heroes. Oh, brother. Anyway. Oh, which is another reboot that doesn't need to happen. Do you know, it's not a reboot. It's a continuation. And quite frankly, I'm kind of excited about it. I don't know. I have to watch the last season of Heroes. Uh, don't go by the Watch the first season and then watch the uh, one that's coming out. That's all you need to watch. But, I like the first season. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, first season was pretty good. So any other acting performances before we like jump into some uh, trivia and maybe uh, quotes or vice versa? Um, any of the performances that you wanted to touch on or any moments? I like the shooting gallery scene. Oh, yeah. That's the f first uh, I don't know, it's kind of a steampunk video game. How about you? You want to give it a try? Oh, uh, no, 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 thank you. Hey, Doc, this... Son! Funny boy! Doc can dance. Son! Son! Hey! I just told you that even a baby can handle this weapon. Surely you're not afraid to try something that a baby could do. Yeah, I'm not afraid of nothing. Oh, come on, man. Let's just step up here like a baby. Now, you what you do is you just ease that hammer back there and squeeze off around. No, no, no. Right on out there and be real smooth. That's the way you do it. <laughs> oh. Listen, can I try that again? Yeah, go ahead.
Hey, just tell me one thing. Where'd you learn to shoot like this? 7-Eleven. Well, it plays into the. It's kind of an echo of the, um, the night, the uh, the future, the '80s retro cafe and the arcade game. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an echo of that. Maybe, maybe it inspired the video game. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. So acting performances. Uh, um, I'll just single out Thomas F. Wilson, who played. Um, he played Biff in in the present and then he played, and then he plays his ancestor Buford Mad Dog Tannen and I th- I thought he was brilliant in in that he was funny he was evil um, he was the the perfect foil for um you know Marty McFly and, and Doc Brown in this movie yeah absolutely by the way just a little bit of trivia about him since we're talking about him he based his characterization of Buford Tannen on Lee Marvin's Liberty Vance in The Man Who Shot Liberty Vance from 1962. Oh, cool. So, he also did all his own stunts and roped and calving and all that. I mean, when he wrote Marty and all that, he did all his own stunts. That's that's impressive. So, yeah. But how about you, Em? Any uh, performances that really stuck out to you as we look at the actors in, the, that, in this film? Was it, I have, I have a hard time selecting a particular performance that was one better than the other i do appreciate what um michael j fox did when he played you know seamus um and there's little subtle moments that seamus has on screen that are very sweet and um i i that it's kind of they did a good job it was a very the editing on it was done really well when they would have seamus and marty on the same screen um I, I just think everybody delivered what I wanted as a as a as an audience member and as someone who wanted the rest of the story. Um, there's there's moments that I love, but you know Buford was just delicious and his lackeys were hilarious. And then the characters that harkened back to the characters in the other two movies were amazing. And I liked that they had ZZ Top. That was kind of funny. <laughs> ZZ Top was the band. Yep, they were. And, and they were um, playing double back. <laughs> our was, version of it. It was really I, I, I don't have a favorite in this because they all worked they all they all worked so hard. Yeah. I love Except for Elizabeth's shoe. They she should have told them not to put that stupid wig on her. Oh <laughs> uh, well go ahead. No, uh, I was I No, I thought you were gonna say something. Um I love the uh, little little story. You mentioned ZZ Top. ZZ Top uh, crops up in movies every so often. 
And then the like one of them was um, Angela's dad in Bones, one of the guys. Okay. Really? Yeah. It was one of the ZZ Top. Um, they, in fact, they even reference it at one point. When, he, when, when, when Angela and Hodge are together, like, he almost like breaks Hodge's fingers. You know, it's, like, it's funny. Anyways, if you're a Bones fan, you get it. You know what I'm talking about. It's not really sci-fi, but I used to watch Bones. And, but the um, little story about ZZ Top on the set um, in the book, uh, Billy Gibbons' Rock and Roll Gearhead, ZZ Top was hanging around the set and was asked to be in the, the town band. During one take, the camera broke. While waiting for the camera to be repaired, Michael J. Fox asked if they would play Hey, Good Looking, which they did. Afterwards, mm-hmm. afterwards, more requests were played. Two hours later, someone inquired if the camera had been repaired. Robert Zemeckis replied that it had been fixed for quite a while. He just didn't want to stop the party that had evolved. Aww. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, impromptu concert in the set of Back to the Future. That's fantastic. That's f- <laughs> you know, if we had cell phones, that would be like recorded. Oh, definitely so, for posterity's so. sake. Yeah. But. And, and, and then put on all social media. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you know, the performances were great overall. The. The items from the future that kind of made it all the way to the past and coming back in. And uh, I loved that the, the, the time machine, the train DeLorean, not really DeLorean, but the train that they have is just absolutely incredible there at the end. Oh, um, yeah. Well, and when it turned into a cartoon, that was that it was Doc and Clara and Jules and Vern who went on. And um, they had the... I love the train. It's gorgeous. But did you watch a cartoon? I, I saw it a couple times. I didn't really pay attention to it because by the time it came out, I was, I was, too, I was too grown up to watch it. It's definitely, it's definitely geared more toward kids, I believe. So. Yeah, it was like a Saturday morning cartoon, which was yeah. super cute. Yeah. I was trying to find something on IMD about it, and I couldn't find anything. Well, I don't know. It, it's kind of like... Um, we may only last a season. Yeah, it probably didn't last very long. That's mm-hmm. my guess. The um, flea. Yep, he makes a cameo. Oh, yeah. At the end. Needles. Yeah. Needles mm-hmm. makes another cameo and um, th- harken back to the accident that put Marty in this position originally. Right. And oh, for number two, yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of neat to see a tie into that. Well. It's a very clean way to tie up the the loose ends. They did an he Zemeckis did an amazing job. Yeah, amazing job. Well, so even the destruction of Delorean at the end. I mean, uh, it was sad to see it happen, but at the same time, it kind of you know Brown was saying we need to destroy this thing. It's caused so many problems, and um, he gets his wish. It, uh, um, which of course means he goes and builds another one. So. Yeah, I don't he know about that. His, he gets he gets his wish, but, but doesn't. He, but
just um, the, I don't know when I saw it destroyed just uh, I, I just felt a sense of closure yeah. with the whole adventure yeah well it still exists traveling through time to 2015 and if you go to Universal Studios you oh, can yeah. see it outside the ride yeah absolutely <laughs> so were there any uh, any uh, any notable quotes for you guys anything stand out quote wise that stuck out to you Yes, when Buford, when Buford and Marty are about to have their stand down, well, am I, am I, am I busy on Monday? No, you guys are fine on Monday. Fine, Monday. And um, well, how about at noon? And he goes, Nah, seven seven a.m. I do my killing before breakfast. <laughs> you, hey, lighten up, jerk. Mighty strong words, run. You man enough to back him up with more than just a pipe plate? Look, just leave my friends alone. Oh, what's wrong, dude? You yellow! <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> yellow belly. Nobody. Calls me yellow. Let's finish it right now. Oh, uh, not now, Buford. Uh, Marshall's got our guns. Like I said, we'll finish this tomorrow. Tomorrow we're robbing the Pine City stage. What about Monday? We doing anything Monday? Uh, no, Monday be fine. You can kill him on Monday. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Noon. I do my killing before breakfast. Seven o'clock. Eight o'clock. I do my killing after breakfast. And then <laughs> Marty just walks up really, you know, and just stands there and goes, eight o'clock. I do my killing after breakfast. <laughs> it was wonderful. And it was a very mature Marty. It's a Marty who... I mean, technically, he's only been, like, gone for a day. But that boy, his, that guy, I mean, he lived 14 days. I don't even think he really slept. But he grew so much in those 14 days. And to see that reserved kind of, I'm going to, I do my killing after breakfast. Just delivered it very, like, non-aggressive, non-confrontational, just... <laughs> He knew he was leaving, so it wasn't that big of a deal. It, it, just about that, you mentioned that he hadn't slept in 14 days. Well, he was knocked out twice. Yeah, but that's not really restful. Yeah. Your brain's trying to repair itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your mom's coming on you in both scenes. I mean, it's terrible. He's, he's done a lot of living in that short period of time. He has. Mm-hmm. No doubt. His mom only came out to him once when Lorraine was young when Lorraine was old with the fake boobs she wasn't coming on to him and when it was Maggie McFly she was being very polite very yeah. proper oh, and I... she told him that's Mrs. McFly to you and so <laughs> there you go uh, um, I do like that quote near the um, near the end I'm sure gonna miss him Oh! <gasps> 
the family. Where are you now? Hi, Marty. Ma'am. These are our boys. Jules. And Vern. <laughs> boys, this is Marty and Jennifer. Doc, I thought I'd never see you again. You can't keep a good side as down. After all, I had to come back right side. Well, I didn't want you to be worried about me. Oh, I brought you a little souvenir. Dr. Brown, I brought this note back from the future. Now it's erased. Of course it's erased. But what does it mean? It means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Both of you. I think that's just a great line. To kind it, of oh, end. yeah. It it perfectly, it, it sums up the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I think that was pretty awesome. Um, if we're talking about scenes, I mean... Just them getting the DeLorean to make it possible to hit the 88 miles an hour was a very creative solution. I mean, mm. we we have in the old west we have we have a train heist. I mean, they 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 didn't they they steal a train and they get the train going. Um, Clara manages to get on the train and as these special designed logs are going off. Uh, Doc Brown has to be a hero to save her, but that, I mean, I, I think that scene was really, it was a good edge of your seat scene. You have, you know, she's, you know, in a very precarious position, and, um, and you talk about juxtapositions earlier, M. I mean, this time it's not uh, Marty rising to the occasion to be the hero. It's 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 Doc Brown. He has to be the hero, and he's the one who gets to ride the hoverboard and. And save the day. Yep, and carry her off into the sunset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm to you. 
One little nitpick about that scene. So trains travel through the boiling of the steam, the mm-hmm. water. Yeah. So when the logs explode, you see that locomotive instantly jolt forward, which wouldn't really be authentic because it would take time for that water to heat up to get it going as fast as it did. Mm-hmm. So I was nitpick. thinking about that. Yeah. But it, don't, don't get me wrong. Awesome tension by doing it the way yeah. they did it. So dramatically, 100% with it. The science? Science, not so much. Hmm. So scientifically, you could superheat with the with the right with the with the right chemical reaction. And he said that he created these logs to 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 do like the insta insta flash um, uh, reaction, so he wouldn't have to sit and stoke the fire; that it would just self stoke. Um, you could actually initiate a, a chemical reaction that would be so exothermic that would that would carry an exothermic um, boost that could flash boil water and could create that kind of like this it, the superheating and then that's the it's the air that's trapped in there and and so it it I don't think it's n- I think there's some science, some science underneath of it. I think it it could be done. Would you have any comp? Would there be any complications when you superheat something like that? With yeah, the, an with explosion. The, with, <laughs> well, with the type of material that the uh, boiler is made out of. 1985. So you're, you've seen steam engines. Those things are inches thick of. Oh yeah, steel. they're they're built and like iron. a tank. They're built like a tank. They're they're <laughs> tanks. They are. So. You know, considering that it was just the the damage that we saw, it still blew. It still blew a lot. And then whatever oil, whatever materials were inside caught fire. Yeah. Something for Mythbusters to test. Yeah, no, it's uh, could you actually do something like that? Yeah. Dear Mythbusters. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think that's a, uh, but I, that is a, it's interesting to kind of discuss that sort of thing. Like, is this possible? Is this possible to do back in that time? I think so. Uh, I think you might be right. There might be something to that. I will ask some of my more sciencer friends. We, re- we really need Jen. <laughs> Jen would be. Well, she's an astrophysicist. I'm yeah. going to ask some of my chemistry friends. Yeah, ask, yeah, ask them. Now that Jen is incapable, I'm sorry, Jen. Yeah, you hear that? Hear that, Jen? No, just You're just an astrophysicist, Jen. You're just an astrophysicist. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> What does she know about burning logs in a train? I don't know. Uh, well, if it was in a black hole, she could tell you all about it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, She knows everything about it. Anyway, digressing. <laughs> um, a, uh, any other moments or quotes to stick out to you before I head into a little bit of trivia? When Doc says, look, Marty, you go. I'm staying. I'm in love with Clara. And that we, the roles reverse. And just... There was kind of like this father-son reversal thing going on that was great. And their perform both actors' performances were just I don't have the words to describe it. I'm not very loquacious tonight. <laughs> um but it, there was just something in Michael J. Fox's delivery and his in that speech to Doc, no, Doc, you have to we have to go back. We've already affected time, we've affected this. It was you. You could hear the earnest desire to just and to to go back home with his best friend. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so I mean, that's uh, they both get their wish in a sense toward the end, you know, mm. and uh, they both get to kind of be with their best friend. They get they both get the girl. Yeah, they both get the girl in the end, which is kind of cool. Oh, mm-hmm. you don't often see that work out that way, but that. Um, some other great quotes is I love the one where young Doc fifty five Doc says, "No wonder the circuit fails." It says, "Made in Japan." Marty McFly, what do you mean, Doc? All the best stuff's made in Japan. Undoc, unbelievable. That's <laughs> <laughs> just... Yeah. Yeah. Shows where things were in 1955. Yeah, absolutely. American made. Um, just highlight something that's... It may sound a little obscure, but when I, when I saw the movie, there's a scene where the three... The three guys in the bar at the one table. There's a one guy... I've seen him in so many things. Uh, first thing I remember seeing him in... His name is Dub Taylor. Uh, he was remember the Hubba Bubba commercials. I think we're both all all, all three of us are young enough, yes. or old yes. enough to remember those. He was one of the cowboys, or in the in the Hubba Bubba commercials. But I mean, he had done tons of stuff. And then he was in Little House of Prairie, and he was in lots of cowboy movies. And I mean, he was old when he did Back to the Future. But uh, um, but it was neat that that they had like not only, like the three old timers were all yeah old Western actors yeah. Those that trio was delicious. It was absolutely delicious. I think all three of them were in Blazing Saddles too. Mel Brooks's movie, <laughs> which is one movie I have not seen. It oh, it's it's so socially incorrect. I own I own a copy of it. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. It's wrong in so many ways, but it's so right. Uh, well, here, let me give you some trivia here. Um, the uh, Doc's kiss with Clara marks Christopher Lloyd's first kissing scene in his movie career. Really? Wow. Yeah. Took that long. Wow. Took Aww. that long to get kissed on screen. Um, when Mad Dog tried to lynch Marty, Michael J. Fox was accidentally hung, rendering him unconscious for a short time. He records this as an audio biogra- in his autobiography, Lucky Man. That's kind of scary. <laughs> it is. Um, little note, Marty uses a Frisbee pie plate to knock a gun out of Mad Dog's hand. In mm-hmm. 1871, the Frisbee Pie Company started in Connecticut. Their pie pans were thrown on the campus of Yale, and these eventually led to the invention of Frisbees. So a little tidbit of that. That was that was a cool nice. scene, Marty using yeah. a frisbee as a weapon. Oh, I know, isn't that awesome? And so yeah. Marty, it, it, it is fit, so fit the character. He, he, when he picks it up and he's in front of Maggie and Seamus, and he goes, "Hey, frisbee, far out," and puts it down. And Maggie, what does he mean? It's right there in front of him. <laughs> That's a great line too. Uh, um, it's those. It's those. Those. Those temporal. Um, social, like it's 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 the little enigmatic parts about his life that he and 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 vocabulary and and idiom idioms that he uses that when he goes back to 1955 and now he's back in 19 in 1865 it, that he uses that that nobody gets and it's always got it's always understood the the most just the most innocent way and it's pretty funny like when he walked into the in the first movie, when he said, "You know, well, give me, give me a Pepsi free." Well, I'll give you a Pepsi, but you got to pay for it. And he's just not. He worked really like I feel like he blended into 
the old west really well but there were little moments where he forgot where he was and he oh, was yeah. just being you know marty and we very you, cute you know and you think any of us thrown out of our time period would be right there we identify there's part of it that we find that humorous but we identify like if we were in that same situation we'd be doing the same thing mm -hmm. nope i'd be awesome because i know all about the history i would go to <laughs> okay em well if i was well so he didn't really have a choice no but i've i've watched enough westerns in my life i love westerns so much um i i don't i guess marty didn't but thrown into thrown into the marty situations i probably could have gotten through okay yeah. except for the whole no toilet and running water thing that would drive me crazy <laughs> and remember when they first served him dinner uh there's the water that's in those glasses and uh, the buckshot that they have to pull out of the, the, the rabbit Now, meat. I will say I have pulled buckshot out of meat that I've eaten before. Oh, my God. Well, it's not, you know, so so I grew up in a family of hunters. I mean, uh, so we would like, when we when my dad would shoot rabbits when I was young, we would, you know, my my mom was relegated to the task of cleaning these and cooking them and and um, every once in a while, there'd be a piece of buckshot that would be missed. That's so, awesome. <laughs> so you pull it out. So it makes me sound real hickish, but we weren't. We weren't real hickish, but we would we would certainly do that. I mean, that's something. But that I can imagine it being much more common than. It certainly makes for a humorous scene. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. By the way, just a little note: the uh, Indian war warriors on horseback being chased by the U.S. cavalry was out of place because in 1885, all the Indians were reservations. Uh, so it was kind of anachronistic. Yeah. So just a little tidbit there. Um, I thought this one scene they cut from the movie was probably a good call, but I wanted to kind of share it. Buford Tannen is arrested by Marshal Strickland's deputy um, rather than Marshal himself. During the arrest, when the charge is robbing the Pine City stage is read, the camera cuts away to Marty and Emmett. There's a reason for both of these. Buford was originally arrested for the murder of Marshall Strickland. The murder scene was deleted as it was deemed too dark for a family film, and the line was dubbed over. Mm. Okay. So. You just wonder how Buford Tannen had time to meet somebody and have a family, and that family continued the uh, Tannen. Who would even marry Buford Tannen? You know, the Tannen line to we have, you know, Biff... Um, uh, how you know? However many years later, yeah. yeah. Well, it, I we find out that Biff lives with his grandma, so I suspect that there's that the Tannins are love him and leave him kind of men. Yeah, that doesn't. Surprise I suspect me. I expect a lot of dysfunction in that family. Yeah, you think just a little bit. <laughs> um, that might explain a lot. Two other pieces of trivia here. The drive-in theater was constructed specifically for this film. It was built in Monument Valley and demolished immediately after filming. No films were ever screened there. Oh, how sad. No. I know. Um, and the last one, the character of Clara Clayton is a reference to Clara Clemens, Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain's daughter. Clara Clemens went on a sleigh ride with her future husband, Osip Bacchus, Gabrielowicz, uh, the horse took fright from a windswept newspaper and bolted while, um, while Osip lost control. At the top of the hill, next to a 50-foot drop, the sleigh overturned, throwing Clemens out. Um, Osip, 
leapt to the ground, caught the horse by its head, stopping it as it was about to plunge over the bank, dragging Clemens with her dress caught in a runner. Wow. So based on actually, I guess, a true story. They're inspired by it. Inspired by it. Yeah. Mark Twain. So. Well, awesome. Um... Well, any other things we have to chat about this uh, about this movie? Anything else to say? No, you you posted a, a couple of lines here that I do I do that are very sweet when they ca- when Doc and Marty catch up to each other. Marty, you have to do something about those clothes. You walk around town like that, you're liable to get shot or hanged. What idiot dressed you in that outfit? You did. <laughs> it was awesome. It, I mean, clearly time had not passed. In in story, but when they filmed these, time had passed. But those two had the same chemistry from day one to you know the 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 day that they wrapped this third movie. That that is, I agree with you, hundred percent, Emma. Their their chemistry between Doc and Marty, flawless, worked mm. the all three movies for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I love, love Christopher Lloyd. What was that? I love Christopher Lloyd. I just he's so talented and he's so versatile and he's he, I just I don't think I've seen him in any and in anything I didn't like. What is he anyone know what he's been doing recently? I mean besides Lego commercials. So he is in a couple he's been doing voiceover work. He's on a he's been doing some video games. Um I know that much and then I'm sure he's filming something. That dude's always working. Well, he's certainly such a classic actor. Actor, you know, he just does a does an awesome job. I remember him as a villain in the Trek movie. Right, and then oh yeah, he was a Klingon. And Rip River and Jim in, in Taxi. I mean, another movie I never oh, saw. Oh, Jim, TV. Jim Ignatowski, right? Yeah, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the TV show Taxi, starring um, him and uh, um, oh, I'm having a brain. In fart right now, but so I mean, he's Danny DeVito, yeah, Danny, yeah, Danny DeVito Judd Hirsch. Um, but yeah, and, and, and he played, now I gotta find out if I got the name right. But he, he played, yes, I got it. If Jim Ignatowski, Reverend Jim Ignatowski, <laughs> your geek cred is is to the stratosphere. Your geek cred, I don't know why I, I barely the watched now. the show and I don't know why I know that. Yeah, one with the force, but I can't, I can't see anybody playing Doc Brown besides Christopher Lloyd. Well, well he was the bad guy in um, Roger Rabbit, too. Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah. He was the one putting tunes in the dip. Tunes in the dip? Um. He would take tunes. He invented dip. He was getting rid of Toontown to make room for a highway. And so he was using dip. He would spray the stuff called the dip. When you dipped a tune in it, it would dissolve them. Okay. I did not see that movie, obviously. Really? There, you know what? There are a couple classic movies. That I've, oh, a couple more than a couple. A lot of classic movies that I haven't seen. So, I I am a little shocked in that because we're basically the same age, and that was a big movie when it came out for for our for our age group. Yeah, I just uh, and I remember the movie. I remember the movie. I remember seeing it. I just didn't. Um, do that. We're gonna have to get you a copy. I know. Well, we should do. It might we should, we should be start on the a, Netflix. We should do a podcast where all movies that Scott has not watched. Hi, <laughs> so. Scott. But so, just so you know, um, 
Lego Dimensions just came out, and uh, Dr. Emmett Brown is he, he's reprised. Christopher Lloyd reprises his role. Wow. That. He also nice. He up and coming. He said, "Is he working?" Time the Fourth Dimension is announced. He's going to be in that. Lower Bay, House of Monsters, mm-hmm. which is a TV series. Cold Moon is in post production. The Boat Builder, and I'm not a serial killer. Well, I guess he he, he reprised uh, Doc Brown and Robot Chicken in in, uh, in an episode or a few episodes. I'd have to, I'd that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, and Jim Gowski he uh, he uh, he reprised that role in The Simpsons. Oh, he did Jim and oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, but Robot Chicken has the some sort of like amazing cred or some dark secrets on people they get everybody on that oh, show it's amazing uh, i love robot chicken uh, he was in a he was in he was in a little short called funny or die is sorry for lying about hoverboards <laughs> oh those are great um those all those are really funny yeah oh but yeah you're right he is definitely a working actor he is he is i mean when did he start a million years ago. Uh, a million years ago. He seems 75. He was on, he was in One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. <gasps> That's right. First oh, movie. such a good movie. First movie. And uh, there's a Back to the Future video game that he, he. Oh, yes. I'd never, I, ne- I never knew that before. Well, there is. It was for the iPad or something. Oh, okay. Because uh, I had it or played it for a while. Interesting. A bit. But. Well, Back to the Future 3, um, in light of all three movies, uh, we love it as a trilogy. If you had to order these three movies in a preference, if I forced you at gunpoint and said you must choose one over the other and rank these one, two, three, how do you rank these movies? Miles, let's start with you. Uh, I'm going to rank them in order. I like the first one the best. Uh, I like then then the second one, and then next one, the third one. Um, I think the first the first one, to me, um, which started it all, but to me, which 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 really explored a sci-fi theme or something, and you want to see what your parents were like in high school. Take some a simple idea as that, and then, uh, you know, cr- creating a story of actually going to the past and seeing what your parents were like thirty years ago or however long it was. Um, but that 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 that's where I am. I would struggle with that because my mom never went to high school. Well, or <laughs> what, 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 see what your parents were like. Oh, yeah, you know, when, when, when they were your age, you know, yeah, you, right, your you age. Know, so I mean, when 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 Robert Gale wrote the movie, I mean, I guess, or he, he was thinking when he, I guess, he was exploring the, the idea of when he was a teenager, seeing what his parents were like as teenagers. So yeah, that t- taking a simple idea as that, and then going with it. How about you, M? Uh, three, one, and two. Three, one, and two. Okay. Three is by far my absolute favorite. One is fantastic. Two, I didn't love. I liked it a lot. I really liked it a lot. But it, of the three, it is my. It is not my favorite. I think what makes two come in at last place for me as well is the when they go to the future and it's like this desolate Biff Tannen's pleasure palace type. Um, Scenario. I just didn't. I just didn't love that. Mm-hmm. That whole jaunt. The mm-hmm. rest I was okay with. 
And I wonder, too, uh, if watching 2015 now makes it lose its savor a little bit. For me. I, ju- I just yeah. found it a little tacky, yeah. rega- even when it came out. Yeah. <laughs> so the tackiness level only continues yeah. with time. Yeah, my order... Think- go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, no, the the tackiness doesn't change in density or, or magnitude at all. It just continues at a steady rate of tacky. Yeah. I um, I would rank these as one, three, and then two. I think, because so number one was my favorite, but I did love number three, and number two was okay. I'm with mm-hmm. them in that. So... And I think I, th- I I think for me number one holds up the best as far as theories of time travel the way all the loose ends are tied up neatly, but there's no doubt going back into the old west and placing, you know, Marty in there just makes for a very entertaining film. Mm. So, so I, I that's that's that'd be my ranking of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I believe that's about it. Anything else we want to say about Back to the Future before we wrap up our look at this franchise? By uh, far, one of the best put together trilogies. Yeah. Not the best, but it just kind of sits up there on that upper echelon. And they all tie together really well. They tie together well. Mm. And that's what I like about it. They, well, they all take place within a short period. I mean, days apart, if that. So it's. Our um, years. Or, well, <laughs> depend. Yeah, hundreds of years difference. But. Mm-hmm. but the fact that how long it took to make all three movies, and with time, you know, you get better gear and better cameras and 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 better effects. But it still looks. It's it's it. They all really blend well into each other. The stories blend in. The characters blend in. The actors, the chemistry's there. It's just. It's an excellent package from beginning to end. It makes sense. Um, it's it. You've got complete arcs. There's you know the science stuff that drives me nuts. But what are you gonna do? Right. You just suck it up and watch it because it's great. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I, I'm with you. I'm totally on that. Well, I believe that wraps up our look at Back to the Future. Appreciate everyone tuning into the podcast. Well, I believe that's about it. Let's wrap up the show. All right. Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see you. Do your dailies.